we work with them to to make sure that clients have all of their assets properly transferred so that they're not just wasting their time and money creating an estate plan that ultimately is going to fail. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial in the San Diego area, and Thomas O'Connell, president of International Financial Advisory Group, Inc. in Rockaway, New Jersey. Together, they'll be keeping retirement happy from coast to coast. Welcome back to another episode of the Retire Happy Podcast. I'm your host on the West Coast, John Amarino. And I am joined by my always esteemed co-host on the East Coast, Tommy O'Connell. Tommy, how you doing, buddy? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. You guys starting to warm up there on the uh, East Coast? Finally, we got some sun. We got some above 35 degree weather. Uh, it's uh, getting nice out again. Good, good. And uh, us Padres fans, we want to thank you for Luke Voigt. Uh, I, th- I think he's going to be a great addition to you, and I mean that sincerely. I, I th- uh, He was undervalued and underused in New York, I think. Yeah. I, actually, when I went on some blogs, uh, I was kind of excited because uh, when you're getting positive sentiment from Yankees fans, you must have done all right. And he was a good guy in the clubhouse. Good, good. Well, folks, uh, we have another great episode for you uh, today. Today, we're bringing in a, uh, a business colleague of mine here in San Diego. Uh, he is a professional estate planning attorney. Uh, we partnered up about a year ago, and he is the owner of Weiner Legacy Law here in uh, the Carmel Valley area. Uh, and so I am very happy to introduce to us today's podcast talking about estate planning Mr. Dan Weiner. And now, John's guest, the founder of Weiner Legacy Law, it's Dan Weiner. Great to be here. Thank you both of you for having me on. Yeah, welcome, Dan. Uh, Dan does... uh, advanced, not only advanced estate planning here in San Diego, but he also does elder law planning. So he really focuses on specialized niches. And, um, you know, he's he's currently helping out one of my clients and is a very, very knowledgeable person. I know Tommy and I, you and I have had discussions in the past, especially before the SECURE Act, where I would be talking to a lot of attorneys and they were just shooting out cookie cutter type of responses, especially when we were trying to do like IRA trusts, a lot of attorneys would would pause and say, no, that's too much work. And, uh, you know, in our discussions, Tommy, none of those attorneys made it to the cut of us working with them, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems like they didn't want to really put in the effort or the work. Uh, they just wanted, like you were saying, take a cookie cutter approach so that they could just be done with something. Um, and you know that the both of us uh, care too much about our clients to allow that to happen. You know, they're paying good money for estate planning and all the other types of advice that they're getting from professionals and, and they deserve value out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So today what we're going to do is, you know, and, and Dan, um, you know, from our early conversations, Dan is not one of those attorneys. He's very personalized, very 
uh, has a, a lot of expertise. Both uh, he's actually started his law career uh, across the pond, as they would say out there in England, but a very smart guy and has the same belief system that you and I, Tommy, have. And it's given personalized, excellent service to his clients and making sure that their estate is properly set up. So what we're going to do is talk about the basics. We're going to get back to the basics of why people uh, need a will or why they need a trust. Uh, I know, Tommy, before the show, we were saying how Jersey's actually, the one thing Jersey has for them is is their estate planning actually isn't too bad. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually probably one of the best uh, systems out of all 50 states. It's relatively simple to do. There, You don't necessarily need an attorney to get it done. Uh, there isn't a cost like in California where I think it's, what, 4% of your estate value or something like that. Uh, so in Jersey, you know, it may not be good to live in New Jersey, but it's good to die in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and Dan is here here in California. So uh, for all the California listeners, well, you're going to get a, a, a good understanding of why why we need to trust. So, Dan, let's let's turn it over to you. Why a will and why should people get a trust? So both both are great questions. Um, getting a will, I think, is is necessary for absolutely everybody. You know, you want to make sure that after you pass away, the right people are going to inherit the right assets. So, so getting a will on the most basic level is really designed to accomplish that. Um, what what the will does not do, and there's a lot of misconceptions around this that I find that are out there. If you create a will, you still have to go through the probate court system here in California. So whether you have a will or you don't have a will, your family is going to have to deal with probate. The only way to avoid your family dealing with probate is to create a trust. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the actual verbiage on a will is instructions to a court. And hence, that's where you get probate. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that is true. It's instructions to the court. It's a uh, it's a wish list essentially of this is what I want to happen. But the idea is that only only you or a judge can transfer your assets to somebody else. And if you've died, then you can't do it. So your family is not going to automatically get anything. They're going to have to go and sit through this this mega court process, which, and it sounds like New Jersey is pretty, pretty easy. Here in California, it can easily take 18 months for, for the family to be dealing with the court process. And 4% is a good estimate of what it's going to cost in attorney fees, executor fees, filing fees, all of that. Right. So essentially, uh, probate's about as much as a gallon of gas. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. The going right there. <laughs> pretty much. You know, one, one of my clients is two years into a probate for his mother's estate, which is not, it's not even a, a substantial estate. It's just been going on for that long. And he described probate to me as being like the DMV on steroids. You know, nothing, nothing happens the way it's supposed to. They lose your papers. You show up for the court appearance and they reschedule at the last minute. So this is what people's kids have to deal with if there's no trust avoiding probate. That's similar uh, 
to New Jersey where, like you were saying, Dan, that the will only gets you so far. The will gets you to probate and you have to go through probate. A lot of times I find some of these um, these uh, will mills, if uh, that I call them out here, where they try to tell you you have to have certain things for this, that, and the other thing. But a, a will puts you into probate. But what it does is instead of the state telling your family what they're going to get, the will at least supersedes that, I guess, and says, okay, hey, here are the directions. This is what I want done. This is the way I want it done. And same in New Jersey, the, really the only way you can avoid probate is either with beneficiary designations or with a trust. Yeah. Now, you mentioned 4% here in California, Dan. Um, is there any cap to the cost? So let's say, and, and that's they're going to look at 4% of your total estate, correct? Well, that's that's just an estimate of, of what it's likely to cost. So there's there's legal fees which are prescribed by statute. So uh, I, I believe if there's a, a $1 million house that's going through probate, legal fees alone are going to be something like 23000 um, and that's before you get to appraisal fees and, and everything else. So so there's no fixed amount, but at 4% is a pretty good estimate of what it's all going to cost. Right. So let's just talk about the difference between the will and the trust. Now, now on a very basic level, right, the will, you have probate. Probate means it's in court, so it's a public record. Uh, versus a trust, it's private. It goes through the executor. Uh, the trustee, and that's how everything is is divvied out. Since the trust does not go through a court proceeding, you don't have probate costs. You just have the cost of a trust, which, listen, folks, you need to expect to spend a couple thousand dollars, but on the back end, you're not spending tens of thousands of dollars. And ultimately, it's still your money. Um, and then lastly, as, as Dan said, we got you know, 18 months for a probate, um, whereas a trust can take, you know, the matter of just a few months. Are we on the right path there, Dan? Yeah, no, that's right. It can take a few months to administer a trust after somebody's died. And then if you work with an attorney, there could there will be attorney fees to help the successor trustee, but it's not going to cost anything like what probate costs. And what, what else am, are we missing there? Um, any other differences that really stand out from being an attorney of the will and a trust? So the the trust, as you said, John, the trust is a private document. So it's not something that would ever have to be shared publicly. The kind There's many different kinds of trust. The one that we're talking about here, the revocable living trust, is really a contract that you make with yourself or you make it with your spouse and you set out exactly what you want to happen to your assets and you can go well beyond what a what a will does you know you can you can set up ongoing trusts for for your children which uh, which is something we may come to soon you know you can make sure that the inheritance you leave behind is protected from lawsuits and future divorces and all kinds of things that that can't be anticipated right now and the other thing a trust does that a will cannot do is it addresses an incapacity situation. So a will doesn't become effective until somebody dies. A trust is effective immediately. And that means that we can build into the trust provisions that say, if you're no longer able to handle your finances, then 
the person that you've chosen as your successor will be able to step in on incapacity, which is much easier than just relying on a power of attorney. So one of the things that John and I, uh, we both have clients with this issue, and I might be taking this down a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a twist though is, and people don't think about it, is a special needs trust as well, which is vital, especially if there's a, a beneficiary receiving any type of government aid, right? Absolutely. And that special needs trusts are an incredibly powerful tool for, for certain families. And as you say, if there's a, a person who's receiving means-tested government benefits, so benefits that you have to qualify for using certain income and asset tests, then in the ordinary course, if you were to receive an inheritance from your parents or somebody else, then that could you know, blow up your eligibility for receiving those benefits because now you're above those income and asset thresholds. But if and you, couldn't they if, claw some of that back? Um, yeah, they can claw some back. But you, if you receive that inheritance in the form of a special needs trust, then mm -hmm. effectively it doesn't count for, for the purposes of determining eligibility. So the, the person can continue receiving government benefits and at the same time, benefit from the inheritance left behind. So Dan, you know, obviously uh, Tommy brought, brought up a great point with the special needs trust and, and really kind of taking care of people with those requirements when you pass. But uh, another big reason why people prefer a trust is the control from the grave. So can, can you talk a little bit about that and maybe give a, a good example of where people uh, prefer this control from the grave? Sure. No, that's a great that's a great point. There's there's a lot of people that have built up some wealth during the course of their lifetime, and they really want to make sure that that wealth is preserved and not lost in the future. So, you know, one of the one of the things you can do with a trust is create for your children something that's known as a beneficiary controlled trust, and by doing that, you can leave an inheritance to your children in trust for their entire lifetime. You could have them become trustee of their own trust at some point, so they would have control. But when, when you create a trust in that way, you're making sure that if those children get divorced or if those children get sued or something happens, then the inheritance you're leaving them is gonna be protected and preserved. And that's, I'm finding more and more with clients, that's something that they really, really care about, you know, future divorces of their children and protecting against that. Well, and what about, you know, you, you often see a lot of people that are mixed families. So you have step uh, parents or the, the widow or widower uh, gets remarried. Obviously the trust, you, you have some language in there, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a very common scenario that we see that we see these days. Um, and the worry, the concern of the clients is that if one of them passes away, then the children of that person could end up being cut out either, you know, if not deliberately, then then accidentally. So you want to make sure you're you're preserving that situation. And you do that usually by having an irrevocable trust that springs into life after one of them has, one of the couple has passed away. So at that point, uh, there'd be a division of assets, there'd be half 
of the assets going directly to whoever is the surviving spouse. And then the other half would go into a series of irrevocable trusts that could be controlled by the surviving spouse. But you would make sure that if that survivor gets remarried, then that portion that effectively belonged to the one who died first would be available for the children in the way that's intended. Yeah, very important, very important. So Dan, uh, two, two questions. First, uh, on that point, one of the things that people ask me about all the time, and I know you'll have the answer for it, is uh, what happens about this house that we own together today, or this house that maybe once uh, is moving into uh, in a second marriage or a third marriage or whatever, and then there are other children. Is it, there's a mechanism that you can put into your estate plan that, say, allows for um, living benefits? Yeah, no, there is. That's, that's an important question. You can, you can create a, in your trust a situation where whoever is the surviving spouse, um, if it's not the person that bought the house, that person will have the right to live in the house until they die. And then at that point, the house would be sold or somehow divided among among all the children. So you want to avoid the situation where the the survivor immediately turns around and sells the house and then cuts out the children of the of the person that bought the house originally. Or, or the children kicking out the the stepmom or dad. Yep. Right after right after too. Right. So my, my other question is, so, um, with, the, with the will and or trust, uh, are there other documents that make sense for someone to get, say, in a package to cover all their bases? There, there definitely are. So you would, you definitely need the core documents that you're going to need are a will, a trust, a financial power of attorney, that allows somebody to step in on incapacity. Now, any assets in the trust would be handled by the successor trustee under the trust, but assets like retirement accounts that are typically outside of the trust, they would need to be accessed by the agent under the power of attorney. Um, and then an advanced healthcare directive is used so that the the medical and health wishes of the person will be will be honoured and the right person will be making healthcare decisions for you if you're not able to make them yourself. Yeah, and, Excellent. you know, I, I've often learned and read that really the, the healthcare directive, the advanced healthcare directives are the probably the least selfish document that you can have <laughs> because it's just as I was explaining to some clients last week that you know, it, God forbid something happens to you, the client, and you have kids with different personalities arguing over medical decisions. And, um, you know, that can cause a lot of resentment It can and it can split up families. So, you know, that healthcare directive is, is absolutely important for that uh, alone. Right, Dan? Yeah, agreed. And a lot, a lot of people want to name all of their children jointly as the as the healthcare agent. I try to to counsel people not to do that and to just name one of them to avoid exactly the scenario that John was describing. Yeah. And not only that, but uh, uh, even if everybody is in agreement, right? But if there's nothing written, 
then you you leave your kids or your grandkids or whomever the, the guilt of hey did I make the right decision you know is this what mom or dad really wanted and that's not a burden that that should be fairly carried there's a lot of other things that people are going to have to carry as a burden in their lifetime that definitely shouldn't be one of them agreed so you always want to make sure that there's some living will provisions included in your healthcare directives so that there's some guidelines for the children around exactly what your wishes are now dan a couple of years ago uh congress uh you know got together again which is never a good thing and they came up with the secure act getting rid of a you know, aside from the grandfathering, getting rid of a very, very powerful provision called the stretch IRA. Um, and, you know, back back in those days, you wanted an IRA trust and, and a huge, huge focus was do not, do not list your trust as a beneficiary of an IRA because then you would have a, a forced liquidation within a, a certain time period. Well, now with the SECURE Act, Obviously, there are no RMDs, beneficiary RMDs. The accounts just have to be zeroed out in 10 years. So in today's law, why is it still important not to list the trust as the beneficiary of your IRA and list the kids or, or whoever your beneficiaries are in that instance? So great question. Um, yeah, the Secure Act did change everything when it comes to to planning around retirement accounts. Um, the the most typical pattern that we see if you've got a married couple and you've got children, typically we would recommend that the the spouse is named as the the primary beneficiary of the retirement account, and then the trust would be named as the contingent beneficiary. Um, so if the spouse predeceases the owner of the retirement account, then the, the trust will handle the, the proceeds. Um, reason, reason for that is uh, typically the, the spouse has much more favorable tax treatment when they receive the, the rollover of the IRA over to them uh, instead of it going into, into the trust. Sometimes, I'd say this is occasionally, um, occasionally there is a reason to, to make the trust the primary beneficiary. Uh, and that would be sometimes if it's a second marriage or a third marriage and the owner of the retirement account is very concerned about asset protection and they want to make sure that uh, at least some of whatever they leave behind in their retirement accounts will be left over for their children. In that scenario, the only way to, to create that is to, to have the trust as the primary beneficiary uh, and then have the spouse taking distributions through the trust. That is a slightly less favorable tax position for the surviving spouse, but sometimes in the right situation, people are willing to sacrifice a bit on the tax in order to get the, the peace of mind of asset protection. Now, you know, as an Ed Slot advisor, I'm going to jump in and say, and not disagree with the end at all. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. But I'm going to throw another twist in there, which is my love and Ed Slot's love for life insurance. This is a perfect scenario where life insurance makes sense for people 
to cover that tax or that limitation or uh, be able to equally or and or fairly split those assets among all the beneficiaries. Agreed. That it, That is a great point. I'm a huge fan of life insurance. I don't sell life insurance, but I... I definitely recommend that people explore using it in different situations. And that is a, that's a great situation to cover that additional tax bill. Um, the, other, the other slightly related area is where you have families with such high net worth that there could be an estate tax exposure that their family right. has. And there's all kind of planning you can do to, to mitigate that, but sometimes you can't mitigate it completely. So having life insurance owned by a, an irrevocable life insurance trust is a way to, for the family to be able to pay that estate tax potentially. So, you know, we're talking about when you should list the trust as a beneficiary of an IRA involving life insurance. Um, so it's safe to say that if you're look out there looking for a, a trust attorney, that trusts need to be very personalized. You cannot just, for the sake of saving a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, get the cheapest attorney that's going to do a cookie cutter trust, right, Dan? Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. And I, I think if there's one thing that the this discussion over the last few minutes has shown that. This is not really about documents. So yes, you can buy some documents off the shelf on LegalZoom or you can get some cookie cutter documents from somebody. But this is this is about lots of other things. It's about your assets, you know, retirement accounts. Somebody needs to be analyzing and assessing those accounts to make sure that you're you're optimizing the tax results when those accounts are passed down to future generations. Um, people need to look at the rest of your assets and give you advice around retitling different accounts and changing beneficiary designations and and all of that that goes into to overall estate planning. And people need to look at your family dynamics. You know, we've talked about blended families. Those are those are very complex family dynamics that that you need expert advice on to, to be able to create an overall estate plan that's actually gonna work for the family. So documents will be will be the byproduct, but before you get anywhere near to, to getting documents created, there's there's a lot of analysis and assessment that needs to go into it. Now, some of these items uh, can be a little bit costly, but obviously a lot less costly in California than going through the probate system. Um, but w with that said, Dan, what would you recommend as to how often these documents should be reviewed by clients? Uh, are there uh, certain circumstances or life events that you would say, hey, okay, you know what? You need to review your estate documents because this happened or that happened. What would you say to the audience about that? So we do reviews at least every three years for, for all our clients. So they get an email to say it's three years, come back in and, and we'll make sure everything is as it should be. Because as you say, people's lives are going to change. The law is going to change. So it's important to keep it under review. Um, in terms of trigger events, divorce is is definitely one of those. So if you're getting divorced, you need to, to make sure your estate plan is updated. Having a child is, is another one of those events where 
you want to make sure the the plan reflects all of the children that you have um and then you know th those are the main ones and buying buying a house is often often a time that people get in touch and if they if they already have a trust in place then they don't need to amend their trust at that point they just make sure they buy the house in the name of the trust um but if you for people that work with a lawyer where they have that kind of ongoing relationship they don't need to remember all of the all of the triggers and all of the times that they need to to reach out because they know that if they have questions then we're always there by email or phone right and you know dan you brought up a good point that i and, and tommy uh you probably are the same way i talk to a lot of clients that have trusts that are eight nine ten years old and they're not getting that they're not getting that ongoing service it's hey yeah my trust is really old i, I think i have to go get it looked at again i'm like yeah what, what about you tommy what's your experience with that Oh, totally. I, I, I had a, a situation where I did a workshop one time and some somebody was bragging to me about how great their estate plan was and that they didn't need to review it or anything like that. They came into my office. They showed me their will. Uh, so I was reading through it. And and so as I was reading through it, I, I asked him, oh, can you remind me what your wife's name is? And he told me. And then I said, oh, yeah. Um, can you remind me what your daughter's name is? And he told me, and so I kind of shook my head and gave him, you know, one of the kind of things. And uh, he goes, well, what's the matter? I said, well, the problem here is that your $10,000 trust has your wife as your primary beneficiary and your wife as your contingent beneficiaries. So if your wife dies, then your wife inherits everything because the lawyer put the wrong names in. On top of that, he hadn't talked to his daughter in like 20 years and didn't want her as a beneficiary at all anyway. So that's the importance of people like you and I, John, not only you know making sure that we get our clients to the right people to do the right job, but to review what they have to make sure what they're getting uh, is what they want. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dan, you brought up two good things I want to, I'm going to kind of do a two-part question here. Number one, you talked about getting your house titled into the trust. Why is that important? So there are there are so many trusts out there, and this is this is one of the big reasons why just getting a set of documents leaves people so exposed because you know documents and signing them is just the beginning of creating an estate plan. You have to make sure that all of your assets, that includes your house your savings accounts, your brokerage accounts, everything that you have needs to be properly titled in the name of the trust. We need to change beneficiaries on life insurance and on retirement accounts. Otherwise, you're gonna end up with a pile of documents that are not gonna avoid probate. They're giving you a false sense of security. And that's where working with John and Tommy is such a, an important part of the process. You know, When we're done with creating the trust, we work with them to to make sure that clients have all of their assets properly transferred so that they're not just wasting their time and money creating an estate plan that ultimately is going to fail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Tommy brought up the point of having the wrong people list, listed on the primary contingent 
Uh, I guess I will toast to the fact that at least he had a contingent beneficiary, Tommy. Uh, good, good point. <laughs> so now I'm going to get to our last point. And it's really, you know, and this is something that is not always involved, the attorney, because uh, we do a lot of these documents, Tommy, but we're going we're gonna to ask the expert about the importance of the beneficiary document. And, and oh, you know, yeah. these are yeah, now beneficiary documents are in life insurance, uh, IRAs or annuity contracts, they might be, you know, if you have a bank account, it's your transfer on death. But let's just focus on the beneficiary document. It has a primary, a contingent. They both need to be filled out and they both need to be accurate. And and Dan and I were talking about this before. The beneficiary document, uh, according to the Supreme Court, is the most important document because uh, the one case that was brought up to it, and Tommy, you, you know, we, we talked about this with, with the divorces, the husband, actually, this wasn't a divorce case, but in this case law, the wife uh, gets hired on as a school teacher, I, I believe it's at, what, 21, Tommy? and The New York City case? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and she has mom and, and, and sister as, as the 50-50 primary beneficiaries, no contingent. She meets uh, the man of her dreams. They get married. I think they're together for, what, 20, 30 years. Her 401k now has a million plus dollars in it. She dies. And the administration, she never updates the documents, never never puts anything in. No one checks the documents. Uh, she actually has a trust. And the 401k administration paid out the sister 100% because the mother had passed. Uh, and that's where the case law came in to say, hey, listen, whatever's on that beneficiary document rules. So, uh, Dan, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is this is one of the, the really tragic cases that we see a lot of, you know, the the situation where someone had you know, two million in retirement accounts, two million dollars of life insurance, and then maybe a bank account with a hundred thousand in it. And then you know, they they get divorced and they change their will. So maybe maybe they change their will and they say in their will, I don't want my ex-wife to get anything from my retirement accounts or from my life insurance. Everything should go to my children. Um, and they may even write that in their trust as well. So they update their trust. They go to all that trouble. They say no retirement accounts, no life insurance to, to my ex-wife. But as John said, they forgot to change their retirement account beneficiaries and life insurance beneficiaries. It doesn't matter what you say in your will. It doesn't matter what you say in your trust. Whoever is named as beneficiary on the retirement and life insurance is going to inherit. So that is a, a big shock to, to a lot of families who unfortunately end up finding out the hard way. That case, John, is the very first case that Ed Slot teaches his class. That exact that exact case that you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I mean, that was that was. I think that was probably one of the the big first bombshells as a new advisor that I uh, I I was you know exposed to and and certainly talked a lot about that and over the years in in retirement classes. I know you have too, Tommy. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people that we talk to, new clients or, or prospective clients that have that situation, just like what Dan was saying, you get divorced, you got these, all these nice legal documents, but then you never 
change your beneficiary designation and the, the exact people who you don't want to get it end up getting it. Yeah. And this, this is why working with an attorney where you have a relationship that's ongoing is so critical and getting documents and documents alone can potentially just leave your family in such a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Tommy and I, uh, you know, we were just in Texas a couple weeks ago and we were talking about this with a, a mastermind group that we're in. And, and a lot of the focus was developing relationships, not adversarial relationships, but partnerships and relationships with with people like Dan um, or, or Moro, you know, our former uh, our buddy that's, uh, you know, doing uh, taxes, but not only getting partnerships like that, but also reaching out to the clients or, or being willing to work in a cohesive relationship with your clients, tax professionals and estate planning attorneys to develop the best outcome for you. Uh, because having this type of information and, and, and as the financial advisor, we are the ones that really have the most time with our clients. And so if I have an issue coming up and I have a good relationship with that client's tax person or that client's estate planning attorney, which we're really trying to focus on building that now, is is huge because we can alert red flags that are going to be beyond our scope, whether it's tax advice or, or legal advice. And, and I think that's probably one thing that Tommy and I have really um, talked about in, you know, on our sidebar conversations about improving, you know, wouldn't you say, Tommy? For sure. You know, there's no reason for uh, us to be adversaries with CPAs and attorneys because hopefully all of our one main goal is to serve the client and get the client into the best position that they can be, the client and their family, right? So there, it doesn't make sense to be at, uh, have an adversarial relationship with people. We want to work with their uh, their attorneys, their tax professionals, whatever other type of advisors that they might have. We just kind of see ourselves as the quarterback, right? The uh, the the CPA might be the the running back, and the attorney might be the wide receiver. But typically, they're not talking to each other. It's us that we're bringing everybody into the huddle and saying, "Okay, hey, here's your job. Here's your job. Here's your job. Hike, let's get it done." Yeah, and let's let's uh, do the best for the client. So. Um... Well, hey, you know, Dan, it was a pleasure. This second time you had, you know, we had you on the last time uh, I had you on was for Prop 19, uh, another great California proposition. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was really great having you on to talk to the talk to the basics of estate planning. And, uh, you know, you have some uh, a lot of knowledge. And, and I think uh, Tommy and I will both agree that we're going to have you on in the future you know, talk about elder law planning and some real specialized stuff. So we thank you for your time. I know you're busy and it's great having you on the show. Of course. Thank Thanks, you Dan. so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. And I would, uh, I would sure love to be on your show again. Yeah, yeah. We and appreciate it for sure. So if you're uh, interested and you need a estate planning review and you want to get a hold of Dan, you can reach him a couple ways. You can give him a call at his office, 858-356-356. 9070, or you can uh, contact him on his website, WeinerLegacyLaw.com. That's W E I N E R LegacyLaw.com. 
and uh, you can schedule a complimentary consultation. He's located in the Carmel Valley area at 12707 High Bluff Drive, Suite 135. So uh, if you need to get a hold of Dan, that's uh, his info. And Tommy, uh, again, uh, another great uh, interview. I'm I'm really enjoying this interview series, and uh, as a pleasure as always getting together on each coast to help our clients out. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Dan, next time, maybe what we can talk about as an idea is is legacy planning for the next generations and how do we how do we set our, our clients' families up for that kind of success? Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Well, Dan, we're going to have you back then, I, maybe here in a couple months. <laughs> there <buddy>. we go. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So, all right, folks. Well, uh, that wraps up for today's podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next Retire Happy Podcast. Take care. It's easy to get in touch with John and Thomas. If you're more on the West Coast, give John a call at 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210 or go online to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. If you're more of an East Coaster, then call Thomas, 973-394-0623. That's 973-394-0623 and online at internationalfinancial.com. That's internationalfinancial.com. And you can, of course, always just check the description or the show notes section of today's show for all that contact information. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps, and we'll see you next time on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM, Securus Financial, and International Financial Advisory Group are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Iamarino, Thomas O'Connell, and guests on this show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subjects covered.